Hello, and welcome back to another fabulous episode of Pageants and Prosecco. I have been wanting to put this episode out in October because that is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But life happens, as it happens to all of us. And I am putting it out today in December. So either way, I hope this um, resonates with somebody who is listening. And I hope that um, this is a powerful episode for you guys. So let's just go ahead and get started. I was on the Googler, -er, you know, once upon a time, and I saw this episode, not this episode, this article about how Miss America 1992, Carolyn Sapp, was kind of the face of domestic violence, and she did it on accident um, from just talking about it. And... She became a crusader for this um, new era of Miss America. So I wanted to just kind of go through the article with you guys and talk about um, her situation and her story. So this is coming from Amy R.J. Tin Singer, R. Jet Singer. She is a writer from The Time magazine. And it says, the story of how Carolyn Sapp, Miss America 1992, became an accidental domestic violence crusader, marks the moment that a new era for Miss America came into focus. The pageant has barreled out of the messy 1980s with still formidable television ratings, a bulwark of corporate sponsorships, bulwark, that's a new word for me, B-U-L-W-A-R-K, its identity in the public imagination secure, but also aspirations for a new relevance. Just in time for the advocacy-minded Miss Americas of Gen X. So this is the time period we're talking about, you guys. More than 20 years after feminists protested on the boardwalk, we all know about that in the bra situation, the first generation to enjoy all the fruits of the women's movement was coming of age at this time. Okay, this is 92. And some of its members, as it turned out, were still interested in competing in pageants, because why not? They would seize their crowns with more self-direction than the women who preceded them. And eventually, they would become the first group of Miss Americas to question why the pageant was not controlled by Miss Americas. And they set out to do something about it. It was 4 o'clock in the morning, and Carolyn Sepp had barely taken the new crown off her head to catch a few hours of sleep when the phone rang, ring, ring in her Atlantic City hotel room. It was a reporter from her home state of Hawaii, but instead of late-night congratulations, he was asking the new Miss America about Nu'u Fa'alo, Fa'ala, I believe his name, her ex-fiance, a new, new, a new York Jets running back, and until that night, the better-known half of her relationship. And the guy on the phone said this, okay, imagine you win Miss America, so that's just kind of putting this out there. So this is the night that you win Miss America. It's 92, you dress in white, you looking cute, you got your scepter, and um, you're being crowned by Majori Judith Vincent, who was Miss America 1991, one of my favorites. And ring, ring, you get a phone call from the reporter. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Pageant is probably over. It probably started at what? 7. Pageant is probably over by 9, 10. 
see, you take pictures, do all the fun stuff, and then you're in your hotel room. Okay. Four o'clock in the morning. Oh, Porter calls her and asks her, hey, look, we know you and oh boy are together. Um, well, you guys were. It's her ex fiance at the time. Um, what's good? We know we see you have a police report for our domestic violence situation. Talk to us. Talk to us. That was one thing I did not like about being a reporter was being in people's disnaies. Um, and apparently the article came out and it says, well, I'll tell you guys later. I'll tell you guys in a second. Um, let me see. Let me just keep going. Okay. I'll tell you about the report, the cover story later. So the reporter says, we know you had him reported for domestic violence. Tell us about it. Okay, cool. So Miss America had never dealt with a Miss America quite like Carolyn Sapp before. She looked like an old school beauty queen from the 1940s, an hourglass knockout with the big shoulders and the big face and the big hair. Natural strawberry blonde dyed, uh, natural strawberry blonde dyed a rich mahogany to set off her pale skin and dark lips. This was the 90s. But her energy was a very new thing. She had a swingy kind of walk and eyes that would pin you to the wall while her mouth stayed in constant motion, laughing, talking, and smiling. The night she was crowned when they told her they needed a family picture, but just with your mom and dad, okay? Sat pushed back not for the, la not for the last time and got both her step-parents and her three half-siblings and her grandmother including some aunts and a cousin in that photo as well. The next morning, as she posed her photos in the surf, she let the old English sheepdog who came bounding into the frame lick the makeup off her face, and the photographers nearly died of joy. And there's a cute little picture of her and this um, big dog. I don't know where it came from. That energy could be a lot to take, and the Miss America staff did not always know what to make of it. They tisk tisk when she greeted sponsors with a hug and a kiss, and she had to explain it was just the Hawaii way of doing business. The Carolyn Sapp way. But her sponsors loved it. They loved her, loved the fact that Miss America was so much fun. She had always, she was always game to stay late, after the photos, after dinner, to stay up talking and laughing, maybe even get up and sing with the band. You only have one year to Miss America, right? Even as her dear pageant chaperone was left sitting there waiting at an hour when she would have much rather retired. There were clashes over this too. High level debates over the appropriate bedtime for a 24 year old woman, though usually phrased in terms of, we don't want you to burn out. We don't want you to burn out. But Carolyn Sapp and the Miss America organization were on the same page in one way. For that which is extraordinary energy of hers would prove essential. After that terrible early hour phone call from the reporter, remember, remember that phone call? She went to talk to Leon, uh, Leonard Horn, the pageant's longtime general counsel, who was then able, who was then also its chief executive. Sorry, you guys. As she told her new boss everything about the private trauma that would soon explode into public view, he listened and made some lawyerly calculations, lawyerly calculations. <laughs> Sapp, Carolyn Sapp, had beaten a field that included two professional opera singers, 
a Phi Beta Kappa concert pianist, a classics major, and an attorney for the National Labor Relations Board. Carolyn could not recall her Hawaii Pacific University GPA when someone at her first press conference asked her about it. I'm an average student, she replied. Journalists chalked up her victory to retrograde sensibilities. Quote, the mob demanded a babe. They got one. Sighed the Washington Post. She wasn't just Miss Hawaii. She was Miss Ha-Cha-Cha, the Philadelphia Inquirer hooted. While the other contestants promenaded down the runway, Sab linked her sexiest Miss America um, since Vanessa Williams. He's saying she's the sexiest since, Miss, since Vanessa Williams. They could not have known that Sab had crushed it in her interview with compelling stories about her sprawling multicultural family, her travels beyond Hawaii, the three jobs she juggled through college. There were some insinuations that, you know, that one guy who was once the owner, number 45, the Atlantic City Casino owner, same guy, somehow has something to do with her win. He had nothing to do with it. A past judge, he merely swan around the pageant that year with his fiancée, Marla Maples, at the time. At one pre-show gathering, oh boy, you guys know what I'm talking about, the former, well, the somebody's president, um, so this is what we're talking about. At one pre-show gathering, he swaggerly asked to see the bodies who had won the swimsuit competition. And Carolyn Sapp stepped forward with just as much swagger. I don't know if you remember me, question mark, she said, and everyone in the room took note. A couple of years earlier, Carolyn had traveled to New York for a PR job, and the feature, oh boy, chatted her up. Um, nothing had happened, so she had no qualms about reintroducing herself. But her air of familiarity got pageant tongues wagging. His fiance Maples, described her as very brazen. She and, oh boy, actually broke up after that weekend, probably in part because of him eyeing commentary from the front row of the pageant, though they eventually came back together two years later and got married. And then I don't know what happened after that. Anyway, back to Carolyn. She did not seem bothered by this particular strain of gossip and the media criticism. However, the story about her ex-fiance, Nu'u, was looming and it blocked out everything else. She and her ex-fiance, and I don't want to pronounce his name wrong because I'm just calling him Nu'u, she and New had been the celebrity couple back in Honolulu. He was the hometown football hero who made it to the NFL. And she was Miss Kona Coffee, Miss Waikiki, and Miss Honolulu. And I actually lived in Waikiki, you guys. It was fabulous. Um, both, it says corny sounding titles that, in fact, had ushered her into rooms with politicians and CEOs. But that was just a rude take from this writer. Why would they call it corny? Miss Honolulu, Miss Waikiki. Why would you not want to be Miss Waikiki, okay? and sent her across the Pacific to promote Hawaii tourism and business development in Japan. And for a while, everything had been fine, a little bit, sort of. There were flares of temper, physical outbursts that she had trouble interpreting. At first, she found it oddly flattering. He must really like me if he's this jealous. You guys know how that happens. You know we get there. But more than a year into their relationship, he was cut by the Jets, the New York Jets, and he was angry. As her and him walked through a park together, he abruptly turned his anger her way. He hit her, kicked her, threatened to kill her. It seemed so out of character. 
and he was so immediately apologetic that she blamed herself for not being supportive for his unemployment status. A few months later, he was on another team and got cut again, and then they started having arguments in the car while he was driving. He tried to push her out of the moving vehicle and strangle her with the seatbelt. She eventually broke off their engagement, rightly so, but felt that they should remain friends. And then one night in the fall of 1990, two years before she was grown, after she had given him a ride home, he assaulted her again. This time he slammed her against a wall and threatened her with a knife. Then when she got the police involved and filed a restraining order, um, this time she got the police involved and she filed a restraining order. It was this filing which journalists would find connected to her name a year later, and she became famous overnight. Her lawyer, Miss America counsel guy, Leonard Horn, said, you have a choice. You can either figure out how to talk to the media about the abuse in a productive way, or you can opt not to talk about this at all. But it wasn't much of a choice, he acknowledged. Either way, you're gonna, it's going to, you know, hound you. Um, obviously, the police report is public knowledge, so she decides to talk about it. If the press did not know what to make of her then, they definitely did not know what to make of domestic violence, you guys, in 1991. This is when, you know, women were very prominent, and especially when a prominent man stood accused. If a reporter who broke the news had any hesitation about exposing the identity of a victim of violent crime, which ran counter to journalism standards, then as now, um, you don't really talk about the victims of such a crime like this. This concern did not come across in stories. Miss America, um, this is what the Honolulu Advertiser had as the headline. Miss America, semicolon, old ex-bow troubles. This is on the front page of the Honolulu Advertiser. Others refer to her as a, as it, the whole thing as a stormy relationship or her troubled past. There she is, the latest gossip topic. That was the headline of another uh, magazine. Let's see which one it is. <clears throat> Quote, the Miss America pageant may have gotten more than it bargained for. End quote. The fact that Sap's ex-boyfriend had beat her up got mingled in the media imagination with the unwarranted snark coming out of the pageant world, her GPA, the whole Trump thing, the photos dredged up from Hawaii of her seductive poses in very tiny bikinis. And obviously, you know, bikinis are very popular and you actually kind of need them in Hawaii. Okay. So a decade or so later, it became almost a rite of celebrity passage to come clean about childhood trauma or personal struggle. But this is the early 1990s, and it was highly unusual to learn these things about a famous person. And those who were coming forward were often controversial or faded fame personalities perceived to want attention and were being desperate for it, okay? You got this before social media. This is before rags to riches stories were rags to riches. People were just good and famous, and they had no problems in their past. Sab sometimes got lumped in with them, though she never even volunteered this story. Remember, she had filed a report, and it just popped up, and a reporter um, called her. This is what she said. 
I felt like I was being punished in a sexual way for being a victim of domestic violence. I got a quick education in media. And this is an excerpt, you guys, from There She Was, The Secret History of Miss America. Um, and that's just part of it. And I really want to bring this to light because um, there's just so much talk about leaving a negative situation, you guys. And I am one who can talk about it, too. I had to leave an abusive situation that took a good six to eight years of my life. And I have prospered ever since. And it's not worth it. There's so much happiness on the other side of the rainbow. And if you are in a situation like this, please tell someone, a friend, a therapist, you know, um, ideally, but tell somebody, tell somebody and try to leave. I understand things happen. For me, it was a financial reason why I cannot leave because part of it was financial abuse and financial abuse is abuse. Um, especially when it comes to your money. Okay. When it comes to your money. So for me, it was hard to get away financially and I haven't been in a crazy you know, uh, blessed financially way since. So it's not like I just had more money ever since then, but um, I did what I had to do and now I'm thriving. And it wasn't easy. That's what I'm trying to say. It wasn't easy. It was kind of low, but on the other side was peace and independence and peace and happiness, honestly. And it's tough. It's tough when Kiki's getting involved. Okay, so I just want to read this other one. This is from People Magazine. This is in 1991 when the article came out. And it's called Breaking Away. This is October 4th, 14th, 1991. The cover story says, Her exclusive story, a battered Miss America, beaten by the man she loved, Carolyn Sett blamed herself and went back to him. Now for the first time, she tells why. And how she found the courage to finally break away. Okay. This is part two of this episode. Break away. In an old cramped children's wing of Providence, Rhode Island Hospital, Carolyn Suzanne Sapp, Miss America in 1992, leans over a little girl who is crying in a wheelchair. She whispers something only a child can hear and a tremulous smile forms on a girl's lips. Miss America moves on. Hi, Jeffrey. I'm Carolyn. She says to one boy, hi, Joel, what are you in here for? Carolyn remembers the name of each child she meets. You have to take this seriously, she says. This is my one chance to make an impression. Until now, the impression, the impression the tall, curvy brunette has made on much of the nation is that she is a little more than, as some put it, a babe. After the September 14th Miss America pageant, front page story suggested incorrectly that she had won on her great looks alone. And gossip columnists implied again incorrectly, she says, that she had a romance with the former, you know, 45. All that upset her, upset me, or said Carolyn, but nothing like the story that broke two days after her crowning. Miss America was beaten and terrorized by her football player boyfriend. This more than anything devastated Carolyn, for this bit of news was true. Quote, even Miss America has problems. 
I'm a real person with real problems, end quote. And this, she was 24, you guys, at the time. So this is a year. So this was all happening when she was 21, 20, 21, 22. In fact, to many of the women Carolyn will represent during her year-long reign, it is not her beauty or poise, her energy, or even her remarkable kindness that will leave the most lasting impression. It is instead the secret, but the courage she shares with them. Sorry, you guys. Talking, talking, talking. Hold on, let me drink some water. Okay. Like some 3 million other American women, Carolyn was beaten by the man she loved. <coughs> oh my gosh, you guys. I didn't realize choking. <coughs> oh, child. Hold on. Mm, mm, mm. I should have drank some honey. Okay, sorry, you guys. I'm choking up. Like some three million other American women, Carolyn was beaten by the man she loved. Like so many of them, she put up with the several episodes of abuse, both physical and emotional, before she could find the strength to stop it. She says, the thing to understand is you can be strong and you need to get out. That's what I was trying to tell you guys. You need to get out. Carolyn met Nu Nuu Faala in the spring of 1987 at a Just Say No rally in the shopping mall of Kona, Hawaii. She was Miss Kona Coffee, a spokeswoman for the producer of the domestically grown coffee. He was running back for the New York Jets. He was a running back for the New York Jets. He was uh, 26, either when they wrote this article at the time. Um, and she, he says that she asked for his autograph, and he asked her for her autograph. It was more than the allure of local celebrity, though, that brought the two together. She says, I saw the way he interacted with children, and that drew me in. And he says, as she was outgoing and giving, she had the same heart as his. Um, neither distance nor hectic schedules because he lived on the island of Oahu, which is a 30-minute plane ride away from where Carolyn Seth lived, which is on the big island of Hawaii. And they both travel extensively. Um, could, no, both of the travelers could, not keep, could keep the bond between them growing. I used to call her up and say, this is new secretary calling, and he wants to wish you a beautiful day. That's what he had told the paper. Carolyn, who never had a serious boyfriend before, was charmed by his playful flirtation. She says he was very romantic and giving. At the end of the meal, at the end of a meal, he'd be the first one to jump up and wash all the dishes. He was wonderful. And then in April 1988, they got engaged. She says, This was the man I committed myself to, and I wanted to marry him and have his children. Their dream romance took a nightmarish turn in 1989. A a little bit over a year later, when he returned to Kona from New York. Remember, he was playing for the Jets. He told Carolyn he had been cut from the Jets. And as the two strolled in the park one evening, he was upset and angry. And what exactly provoked him to turn against Carolyn um, was she can say no, she can't, she couldn't, she could no longer remember. It was a spur of the moment thing, she says. He became a different person 
overwhelmed with pure, uncontrolled anger. When she was telling the reporter this story, her throat was tightening, and she was fighting back tears, talking about how um, she was only 5'11", 210, well, how, yeah, how her 5'11", 210-pound fiancé had gone berserk, striking her and kicking her again and again, and then threatening to kill her. And she said she went down kicking, screaming, and fighting, um, but he was a huge man. When the madness had passed, he calmed down, and she laid on the ground, crying. What she felt more was anger over fear, and she was more confused. What happened to the gentle, loving man she knew? What had caused him to abruptly change? He had not been drinking, and she felt certain that he was an adamant to the Just Say No campaign. Remember, that's how they met. And he would never take drugs. So she didn't know how he just flipped. So she decided that the fault was hers. She says, I really thought I was the one provoking it. So in her mind, it was simple. Football, she had long known, was his life. Now it was being taken away, and his psyche, as frail as his physique was strong, was crumbling. He was born in American Samoa in 1965, the youngest of eight sons. His parents were separated when he was still a toddler, and he moved with his older brother to the island of Oahu. Not once while growing up did his father come to visit, and he took the abandonment hard. He said he didn't know who his dad was until he was 20, and it was his athleticness because he was a star running back in high school and then at the University of Hawaii, which transformed him from a forgotten, a forgotten child to a local hero, which is tough to hear. But I'm sorry, your struggles and your demons aren't my problem. Losing his place on the Jets was devastating enough, Carolyn realized. To make matters worse, his career was skidding just as hers was beginning to take off. Remember, she was Miss Kona Coffee, and she traveled throughout the U.S. and Japan, meeting politicians and business executives, forging ahead her own exciting future. She met her fiancé, vulnerability, and abashed, and unabashed, and she decided eventually inappropriate uh, self-confidence. I would sit there pushing him, telling him to go to school, be a lawyer, go for it. In the end, she decided she pushed him too hard. She's very headstrong, and I had high expectations in everything. I was very demanding. So she was chastising herself, and he apologized, and he was crying forgiveness he told her i'm changing i'm going to control it give me another chance and she says she was so convinced the blow up was an isolated incident for which she was largely to blame and she went back to him and for a while he was um cool and then he had got signed by miami dolphins and he turned around she says he was back to being sweet loving kind and generous all over again okay um I wanted to jump ahead a little bit. Okay, so then in December, he got cut by the Dolphins. And then that's when he got angry again. And we kind of know the story. But um, so they were driving. That's when the incident happened. We were driving and he strangled her with the seatbelt. And got pushed out the car. Um, so I'm just going to jump ahead. So she still blamed herself at this time. She had been a type to take charge and be a take charge type of person. 
Um, her parents got divorced when she was an infant, and they both were self-starters. Her dad was a minister and moved to Kona and built his own church with his own hands. Her mom moved when she was young to Washington State, a small town, where she started her own dance school. Um, okay, so then talks about her childhood. She attended church and school with 120 students from kindergarten to 12th grade. It was she who started the school government team. And I'm just going to jump ahead to her leaving. So she was always uh, just a self-motivating type of person. She says whatever the circumstances, whether she was rallying a downtrodden team or financing her own education at the University of Hawaii through scholarship pageants, Carolyn was accustomed to making things work. She was a leader, and she tried to solve her own problems. So just fast forward talking about um, when the incidents happened with her fiancé. She confided in her father and her step-grandparents, who lived in Honolulu. They were all devastated, and they were scared for her. And her fiancé at the time kept his distance, and eventually the bruises faded. And it became clear, though, that he had a devastating blow to Carolyn's unusually elastic self-confidence. She said she felt that she was weak. She said she was embarrassed and she did not want people who looked to me as a strong person to say, you're a woman who will let a man do this to you. My dad sat down with me and wrote out a piece of paper for me. Carolyn, you are okay and we love you no matter what. But that feeling that I'm okay as a person had to come from within. Ironically, the one person she wanted to turn to for support was the very man who had caused her pain. She says that he was her best friend for three years, and he was an important part of her life, and then all of a sudden, there was nobody. Your family and friends don't fill that gap. I'm just as weak as the next person. I started communicating with him. So on October 13th at 3 a.m., he called her, saying that he was drunk and he needed a ride home. She hesitated, and after a little more than two months with the Cleveland Browns, he had been cut again and returned back to Hawaii, overwhelmed with emotions, she says. She made it clear she only wanted to be friends, but he was having trouble letting go. The voice on the end of the line was tense, and in her head she said, stay away. But her heart was not listening, darn heart. So, of course, she went to go pick him up. She says he was at a very hard time in his life. I was picking him up as a friend who was calling out for help. By the time Carolyn got him inside the house of a friend, Curtis Leffler, where he was staying, her ex-fiance was once again angry. He became very bitter that they had broken up and she wanted to leave, but he insisted that she stay at the house. When she ran, ran up the stairs toward the door, he grabbed her and threw her against the wall and down to the floor. He jumped on top of me and was slamming my body up and down, she says. And then out of nowhere, he pulled out a knife and pressed it against her face, threatening to kill her. Terror and anger left her numb. And she says, I was beyond feeling. Before she knew it, Leffler, who had been in his room, came running and pulled him away, the other guy. It was the last time Carolyn would flee for her life. When she returned home that night, something inside her had changed. She made no excuses for him. She didn't blame herself. 
She said she was actually furious and she was bitter and it finally hit home that she did not deserve this. Here is somebody who she trusted and he did this to me. So that's when the next day she went to the Hawaii District Court and filed that restraining order. And then he never touched her again. So it had been one year since um, they finally closed that door and she filed a restraining order. Fast forward. Months have changed in her life and in his. At the time of writing this article, so it says today, this is October, his football career is over. And it says that he reportedly works as a Steve Door hauling cargo onto a Honolulu dock. Now and then, he visits a local pastor to help him come to terms with Carolyn's departure and his own violent past. He says, I'm getting my life straight. Um, still, his feelings for Carolyn are strong. A friend of his said that he's still in love with her and is learning to live without her and hasn't been easy. Last month, when word of the troubled romance leaked to the Honolulu press, then went national, his dormant anger threatened to erupt once more. He says he was embarrassed, and he had to ask himself, should I get mad or what? But instead, he drove to a favorite spot and cooled down. He was there for three or four hours, thinking and praying. He says that he cried and asked God for help. And in the end, he decided to simply tell the story as he lived it. Um, Carolyn was scared, he says, and I don't blame her. The problem was me. I was very aggressive, and I had a temper. The person to throw rocks at is me. A world away. Carolyn is doing her best to move on. In a hotel room in New York City, on a bed strewn with dresses, sheet music, a half catten, half catten croissant, and a worn leather Bible, sits her Miss America tiara. Crown, excuse me, sorry guys. It's a glistening reminder of how far Carolyn has come and how much the future promises to bring. As she packs her bags, ready for another city, another groundbreaking, another needy, wide-eyed child. Her voice becomes momentarily weary. She says she can forgive him, but she cannot forget. The thing is, I love this man. I believed in him. And every time he hurt me, I wanted to trust him again. I wanted to believe that he would change. I'm slowly breaking away. I'm becoming myself again. And... um. That's the end of that article. And that was on, that was recorded that day. Uh, well, that year, I should say. October 14th, 1991. Which is actually a day before my dad's birthday. Which is coincidence. My mom was pregnant at the same time. Uh -huh. But anyway, you guys, I really wanted to bring this story to you guys. Because I, I wanted you guys to know that you're not alone. And I know somebody needs this episode. And I appreciate making it. And I appreciate you guys listening in and tuning in. I hope you found some peace in this episode. And I want you guys to know that um, you're beautiful. And you don't deserve pain in your life. You don't. You don't. And if you or someone you know is in a situation that they is not safe and they can't get out, I'm here for you. You can DM me. You can also call 1-800-799-SAFE, this is 7233, or you can text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788, and somebody will be here for you to talk to you 24 hours a day, free and confidential, and 
you deserve to have, sorry, you deserve to have a healthy relationship. You really do. So I appreciate you guys for tuning into this episode. I'll be found solace in it and I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.